You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. In today's message, we continue our series through the book of Philippians as Pastor Josh Brady walks us through chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. As we listen to God's word, we pray that he will speak to us the things we need to hear and that we will be changed because of it. Well, good morning, church. How are we? Great. If you have your copy of God's Word, would you open to that passage, Philippians chapter 1. We will be in verses 3 through 8 today. Uh, I cannot explain to you, or at least I will try to explain to you a little bit more, my joy in sharing this letter with you over these next 10 weeks together uh, after today. And so, uh, before we jump in, as you are making your way to Philippians chapter 1, I want to remind you, I reminded you last week, I'll remind you again this week. So when next week comes, you don't show up to this campus and say, hey, nobody told me anything. Next Sunday is our community fest. We are so excited to leave this campus next Sunday and go out into our community. We are going to be at Liberty Park for three unique events inside one entire day. We are going to have our church service in the middle of Liberty Park, right there on the main road that leads right through Rosa Scott. If you were looking, it's going to be on one side, Liberty Park on the other. That road right there is where we're going to meet for church service next Sunday morning at 930. Hear me out. I want you to not show up at 9.30. I want you to show up at 9, okay? We have talked with the people who have the coffee trucks. They're going to be there at 8.30. We know what you need to be. Show up. Be there at 9 o'clock, 9.30 we're going to start. It is going to be a big, big day. Listen to me. Invite your friends and invite your family. You know that this is a very real thing. There are people who would never step foot into a church building for a myriad of reasons. Not going to talk about that today. But there are people who would, by your invitation, say, I would love to join you for a a, a day at the park, a, a, a day at church in the park. And so invite your friends, invite your family to join us next Sunday. We will have plenty of space for them. Uh, we will have chairs, but if you want to bring your own chairs, feel free to do that as well. Okay. So 930 is going to be the church service at 11 o'clock and following that service, we are going to have a dinner on the grounds as it were. Okay. Uh, we, we want you to be there. You don't have to bring anything. You just bring yourself. Um, if you you are going to register for that meal, you could do that online. We just want to know how many people are coming. So go to the Connect Center and do that at broadmoor.org. And then following that at two o'clock into the afternoon is going to be our, our fun fest, our, our time for, for activities for, for people of all ages. So we'd love for you to be there. Praise God there is no dunking tank this year. I am thankful for the Lord's provision for that. For we had some people in our church that needed to repent of last year because they said, Pastor, we want you in the Dunkin' Take. It's going to be great. And when I got in there, they dumped 40 pounds of ice right before I got in. Some of y'all need Jesus, and I'm going to pray for y'all right now in a minute, okay? So we, we're going to deal with that, and the best way to do that is by not getting the Dunkin' Tank again. So I'm thankful. If I show up next Sunday, there's a Dunkin' Tank, I'm going to talk to somebody, all right? Second announcement I want to bring to your attention. This is really important. This is the month of our church council nominations, okay? We are taking church council nominations for the entire month of September up until the 24th, which is next Sunday, okay? There are two ways that you can nominate someone to serve on church council, or at least to go through the vetting process to serve on church council. 
You can do that online, uh, which many people have done, or you can do that in a physical copy. You can get that at the Connect desk. That'll be right out there. So go out this door to the right, that door to the left. The desk that's right there, there are physical sheets. You can write your nomination down and put it in the box that is right next to that desk. You can do so uh, at our main reception desk on the second floor of Faith Building. Um, And so you can do that, but hear me out. There's been some confusion, so let let me clear the air. You can nominate more than one person. Now, I know when you do it online, it only gives you the option to nominate one person. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to click submit, submit that nomination. You're going to then X out of that browser or X out of of that that page, and then you're going to go back in and nominate someone else. Um, That is just the way that it's going to work this year. We will make it a little bit more user-friendly in the years to come. So those are my two announcements. Community Fest next week, no Duncan booth. Second thing. Church council nominations coming up this week, okay? So, so the end of that is that at, at midnight, 11.59 next Sunday, get your church council nominations in. We would love to see what the Lord is going to do with that. That being said, let's jump into the text today, Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be in verse uh, 3 through 8. But as you were going there, I want to remind you of what we did last week. We looked at the first two verses. It's Paul's welcome. He, is, he and Timothy are writing this letter to the church at Philippi, a church that he loves deeply. This is, this is known as the happy letter. Now, of all the, the letters that Paul writes, this is, this is the happiest one, filled mostly with, with great and deep encouragement. Uh, last week, we took a, a glance uh, going back almost 10 years from where Paul would write this letter, uh, 10 years prior to where this church is planted. And we met the, the three, or at least the three prominent first members of this church, the, the people who were instrumental. You have Lydia, who had a life of means, uh, a woman who would, would, the Bible describes her as a, a seller of purple goods. Uh, another way of just saying that she was extremely wealthy, that in God's grace, she heard the gospel for the first time as Paul spoke it to her. She believed and her whole family did, and they were all baptized in the church, met in her house. And then we, we continue on in Acts chapter 16, and, and we meet this, this demon-possessed girl, and it was a strange situation um, that, that Paul kind of, and in, in just being aggravated with, with this girl constantly saying, hey, these men are here to preach the gospel. He turns to this girl and casts the demon out. The demon is cast out, and the people who had control over this girl, for they were making money in her ability to tell fortunes because there was a demon inside of her, got mad at Paul, got mad at Silas, and throw them into prison. Not only into prison, but into the center of the prison where they would be locked away and forgotten of, at least for the moment. But God in his grace sends this this earthquake in the night, the the doors fling open, this jailer runs in, and they thought they'd escaped, and he was about to take his own life, and Paul yells out, don't do that, we're still here. And in a moment of chaos, peace floods this, this jailer's heart. He he hears the gospel, he believes the gospel, he invites Paul and Silas over to his house, they share the gospel with their family, and the entire family is born again and baptized. And so, as we get to the end of chapter 16, we see Paul and Silas released from prison, we see Lydia, the formerly demon-possessed girl, and the Philippian jailer, who are all new believers in Christ, and 10 years later, Paul writes this letter. And he seems to be in a place, even though he is in jail, yet again, for his faith, a place of deep joy. That as he thinks back on their time together, thinks back on all the things that God did, that he is overwhelmed with excitement. 
As we study this letter, something that we're going to see, some themes that are running through, is that we are all in desperate need of the grace of God. Whether you are rich or poor, whether you are powerful or powerless, we are all equal at the foot of the cross. The proper response to God's grace is complete surrender and devotion to Christ, and listen, to one another in Christ. And another theme that we see prevailing through this entire letter, a thread that runs, is we are created to do life together, to partner with one another. We understand that we are designed for God-honoring, life-giving community, right? So, so the lives of the Christ followers, then and now, today, should be marked by a few things, right? Number one, primarily, the grace of God. Last week, we talked a little bit about the difference between grace and mercy, grace being God's unmerited favor, getting something we don't deserve. Mercy would be a little bit of the opposite of that, but they usually go hand in hand. Mercy is not receiving what we do deserve. So in in theory, we would have a punishment coming to us, but we don't receive that punishment. That would be mercy extended to us. So in the cross, we have grace and mercy together. And we see that not just on Calvary, but we see that through the entirety of the New Testament, and we see that through the entirety of our lives still today. Grace and mercy, every moment when we breathe in and we breathe out, it is there. As we continue through this letter, another reoccurring message that we are going to see fleshed out. As Christian, we are called to understand that we are seen by God, like he sees you. He knows you fully. Christian, he loves you completely. He holds you dearly. So, because of that, no matter what, no matter the circumstance you find yourself in today, rest in him. Now, with that, we jump into the text today, Philippians chapter 1. If you were in your following Jesus Bible kids, that is page 1,274. 1,274, Philippians chapter 1. The big question we're going to to ask and hopefully answer today from the text is this. Where do you find your joy? Now, I know you're in church service on a Sunday and you're about to either have gone to life group or or about to go to life group. And and typically in that hour and sphere of influence, Jesus is a pretty good answer to give. And you're going to get the answer correct about 90% of the time. Where do you find your, the, 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 the heart or the anchor of the joy that you have in this life, okay? So if I could encourage you to think, now I'm I'm not saying it as a flippant answer, but I'm asking you to think a little bit more deeply than Jesus, just because you're in church. What is it about Christ that makes you joy-filled? What is it about the Lord's goodness that when you think of him, that you, you, you are overwhelmed with emotion? But, but maybe, maybe that wasn't where your mind went. I don't want to, to take that away from you. What is it that when you think on that thing, floods your mind and your heart with great joy? Okay? So today we attempt to answer that question as we look to this text. Remember the setting. I, I said it a minute ago. I want to be clear. Paul is not sitting on the beach. Enjoying a day in the sand and the sun as he writes this letter of encouragement. He is in a dark jail. As he sits here, he is pinning what would, we would believe some of his last, what we call the, the prison letters or the prison epistles. So far, he has written uh, Philemon, Colossians, 
Ephesians, and now we get to Philippians. And today we pick up in that happy letter. Look at verse 3. I thank my God and all my remembrances of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you. All making my prayer with joy. So Paul's letter begins like most of his writings, with, with a thanksgiving prayer. But this letter is a little bit different in the sense that he tells this, this entire audience that he's thankful for them all. Now that is going to come into play as we continue out this letter. For as we understand, church is messy. I think that is the beauty and the miracle that we still can see today. A lot of times we'll ask the question, why isn't God still doing miracles among us today? I think anytime the church is gathered and we don't fight in a, like we don't break out into a fist fight with one another, that's a miracle. Because we have people from all walks of life who have experienced a whole lot of different life and you come together and it's not just for an hour, but it's, in, it's together in an identity where you believe that you are, you are engaging in something bigger than yourself so you lay everything that you are aside and you assume everything that stands before you in Christ and you say we are one. That church is a miracle. And so Paul writes and he says, I am thankful for all of you, even as he continues in this letter, and he's going to have to correct some behavior. He's actually going to call out some names. I, I don't know what those two ladies did towards the end, but man, they did something to get into the eternal book. We'll talk about that more in a little while. He says, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Now, why is this significant? Why, why is when he thinks about all of them, and joy is the only emotion, or at least it's the primary emotion that comes to his mind's eye, why is that so significant? Now, just for a moment, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back and I'm going to read one verse from chapter 16. We read it last week, I'll read it again. It's Acts 16, verse 22. You can write that down and go back and look at it. Here's what that verse says. The crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. Who is the them? It is Paul and it is Silas at this moment. This is when they had cast out that demon from that girl. All right, so, so have that in your mind. Some of the people, 10 years later now, some of the people in the Philippian church now were more than likely a part of that crowd and would have been a part of the attack 10 years ago. Just, just let that sink in. So as Paul thinks back on that church, there are people, and no, no doubt that he would see their faces, he would hear their words, he would almost even feel their, their beatings on his body, but when he thinks back on them, he gives thanks to God and joy floods his heart. Why? Because the gospel reigns supreme in their life now. That's the beauty of redemption. So when we say who we were and what we've done does not define us today, that shouldn't be just for God. That should be for how we treat others and how we think about them. And so when Paul looks back and thinks on them, he says, my, my, my life is filled with complete joy when I think about you. He was thankful for them. When he thought about them, he gave he gave thanks to God, and, and he was overwhelmed with joy. The question I guess we asked this morning is, do you think you could do the same? Now, I know we're not the Apostle Paul, but just think back on your life for a moment. Have there been people who've hurt you, who've said things that have been hurtful, done things that have been hurtful? 
Has God in his grace allowed your heart to, to heal? Enough that when you think about them now, you are not filled with anger or the sense of injustice, but you look back at them and there is a sense of forgiveness that you extend towards them. Now hear me out. I am not saying that you are saying, well, I don't want justice to come. I believe with all that I am. The Bible teaches us that justice comes for everyone, including ourselves. That is the beauty of the cross. For in all of the injustice that we've ever been a part of, Christian, you have surrendered that to Christ and he drank all of that. The wrath of God was, was finished on the cross. The telestate. It is finished. But for those who are not born again, for those who are not in the kingdom of God, that justice is still yet to be gotten, but it will. That's not yours to get. That's God's. But has God healed your heart enough where you can look at them or think back on them and say, God, forgive them. And I thank you, God, for bringing me to where I am. That is the Apostle Paul's posture here. Forgiveness leads to thanksgiving. Unforgiveness leads to bitterness. That is a choice we all must make. I would be curious if we had the time to go around and ask, but we won't. Do you find yourself being more thankful than bitter? Or do you find yourself being more bitter than thankful? Those two typically are rooted in our ability to forgive or not. I pray that even today, as we continue on in this sermon, if there has been something in your life, some, something that has happened to you, something that somebody caused to you, that has caused bitterness to take root in your heart, I'm telling you, that is a cancer destroying you. And God in his grace has given us an opportunity to free ourselves from that. And it's not a self-help, do these six things and it's gone. It is a continual, everyday, moment by moment, breath by breath, continual giving it to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask the Father to help us become thankful where we were bitter. Thankfulness is always born out of forgiveness. All right, so, so we, we started just a few moments ago by asking the question, what brings you most joy, right? So let's ask a little bit of a different question, or at least a, a nuance of that one. Who, like, like which, which person, when you think about them, brings you the most joy? And I guess the, the discussion part of that would be why. Like, think through that in your mind. Paul, Paul gives his reason in verse 5. Look with me. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Like, like, that's the reason. That's the reason for his joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, right? So, so this would be a fun word for you to study in the Greek, okay? So if you go, if you want to do this word study, if you have the capability to do that, I want you to circle the word partnership or underline it or write that in your notebook. And I want you to do a word study on it. What you're going to find is the Greek word here is called koinonia. Okay. You, you may have heard that word before. I've talked about that word before from here. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, said it this way, and this is one of my favorite definitions, or at least a way, not really a definition, a way to understand the, the heart behind or the, the word picture behind koinonia, right? So, so the word partnership is another word for fellowship, and C.S. Lewis said it this way. Koinonia is discovered when you say, wait, you too? I thought I was the only one. It is that mentality, that, that understanding, a partnership based on something in common, some, some, something that you, you share in commonality, all right? So koinonia can happen on many different levels, right? So this would be the non-spiritual side of koinonia. 
work, sports, conversations over coffee, kind of like this. Are you ready? You ready for some quinonia? Here we go. You like Bluebell too? Great. Wait, you binge eat sleeves of Oreos after the kids go to bed too? Just me? Cool. All right. You prefer the beach over the mountains too? You hate water chestnuts too? Anybody? Are we the same person? Anybody in the room? Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Gospel koinonia is drastically different than that, okay? Because it is radically deeper. But it is still the same sense of you too. Here, here, here would be that. You're, you're a Christian too? You ever been traveling? Maybe not on a mission trip, but maybe just in life and you've felt like an outsider with the things that were going on around you. And then all of a sudden you realize that there's somebody and the way that they're living or the way that they're postured, the way that they're talking, they are speaking in a way that, that your heart is resonating with, yet you don't know what's going on just yet. But it is different than those that are around you. And through conversation, all of a sudden you realize and they realize that both of you love the Lord Jesus together. Have you ever had that happen? That is biblical. That, that, is, that, is, that is church family, big C church family koinonia. The idea that maybe you hear someone's story or they begin to tell you about their life and you hear them use the words like God gave grace to me or God showed mercy to me and your ears automatically perk up and you're like, yes, you too, you've experienced that? Wait, wait, when somebody shares their story of, of addiction, when they're, when they're open and transparent and vulnerable, but then they talk about the, the heart behind what saved them from that addiction, what pulled them from that fire, and your heart resonates, and, and, and you express to them, you two, and you are connected over that bonding moment. That is what Paul says when he speaks about this partnership. Because of your partnership, because of your soul connection in the gospel, in the gospel, in the, in the story, in the redemption of Jesus Christ, but also in the gospel work, as you're going to see as this letter unfolds, from the first day until now. You'll hear more about this when you get to chapter 4, verses 15 through 18, but I'll save that. The gospel work wasn't just their common draw. It was their common joy. Knowing Christ and to make him known, this is what fueled the first century church and church family. This should still be the thing that fuels us today. For hear me out, anything outside of that, any, any, any connection that we have in this room that is outside the person and the work of Jesus Christ may be a connection, but it is not an eternal one. So for example, you may come to this church and you may find bulldogs who are in your life group and you say you're a state fan too or you see Ole Miss folks and you're like oh you're an Ole Miss fan too you're you're a Southern Miss fan too you're you're Jackson State fan too Alcorn State fan too like like you you're that too right but at some point you're going to play each other and that's game over so much for koinonia or maybe, maybe it's a work activity. Oh, oh, you work in this field too, or you work in this field too. And at some point, that connection can only go so far. But the gospel koinonia, this partnership that Paul talks about, is far deeper than that, that, that 10 years removed from, from his first stint there in Philippi. Now as he sits in prison and thinks back on them, that his heart and his love for them has only grown. Why? Because their partnership, their connection is in Christ in the work of the gospel. Something for us to remember. 
But if we try to allow other things to fuel our connection, and I'm not saying it's bad, but I'm saying it's not going to last. So this is what we would tell you today. Many of you, many, some of you, and, and I, I pray many more if you want to go, you are going to go to our foundations class. It is going to happen right after this. It'll be one of the steps that you take to, to, to be a part of the church membership here. I, I would encourage you to do this, that, that we're, we, in that class, you are going to hear the mission, the vision, the values of our church. You are going to be encouraged to engage in our church. And, and, and the thought is going to be, I want to find people in, in like stages that I'm in. I think that's right. I think that's good. That's a, that's a good step, but that's not an ultimate step because you want to find people that you believe the same way that they believe because that is eternal connection. You love the Lord Jesus. I love the Lord Jesus. You want to see his kingdom advanced. I want to see his kingdom advanced. You're fighting this particular sin, I'm fighting this particular sin. And we believe that Christ is the only way that we are going to prevail. The other things are good, but hear me out, they are trivial. Gospel matters are what is eternal. So here's a question that we have to ask ourselves, not just for those who are going to foundations class today, but for everybody in this room. Do we have gospel partnerships in the same way that the Apostle Paul and the church at Philippi had gospel partners? If, if yes, like how, how do you continue to cultivate them? We, we see the Apostle Paul through visits and letters, like communication. I pray that in your gospel partnerships, there is communication. That is how those relationships are cultivated. The longer you stay here at Broadmoor, I pray that you will realize that just about everything we do, everything that we program and offer to you, is to give you more koinonia or partnership opportunities. The three major ones, uh, Pastor Jay talked about them on the day that he preached just a, a few weeks ago. Worship, groups, and service. Th those are opportunities for you to, to make this really big room feel a lot smaller. And for you to experience the, those U2 moments. Other opportunities, Wednesday night activities, mission trips, recreational sports. Church, get involved in these things and experience these gospel connections. But back to the text, look at verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Part of what brings Paul most joy is his confidence in everything that surrounds his joy. The people, the church, the mission, the impact in his community around the world. But Paul's confidence doesn't come from those things. Doesn't come from himself. Paul's confidence comes from God's sovereign plan and sovereign hand through Christ, right? So, so God started the work. That's what Paul would say. I thank God because I believe that the one who started the work will complete the work. So God starts the work. God continues that work in them. He hears of their faithfulness at the Philippian church, even while he's in jail. So Paul is confident God started it and God sustains it. And in that same confidence, he is confident that he will complete it. This is the work of faith. I know a lot of us will look back at our life and we'll think, man, we are confident because we've seen this and experienced this and done this. We see it and experience it today. But when it takes our heart to trust what tomorrow may hold, that's a totally different thing. What, what Paul is saying here is, 
If you look at your past and you see that God has been faithful and you look at your, your present and you see that God is faithful, do you know what you can conclude about your future? That God is going to be faithful. God does not break his promises. And I know a lot of us in this room, we are confident about our past because we have seen it. We are confident about our present because we are here. But the future terrifies us. Paul says that we can rest in God's grace. We can rest in his sovereign hand over our life. For if he was good and if he is good, then he will forever be good. God is the initiator, God is the sustainer, and God is the finisher of all things. That's why he and he alone gets all the glory. One of my favorite um, commentators is a guy named Kent Hughes. He's a pastor, author. This is what he wrote on the topic, okay? Kent Hughes. As I reflect on my 50-plus years in Christ... It is indeed God who has kept me. It is not my grip on God that has made the difference, but his grip on me. I am not confident in my goodness. I am not confident in my character. I am not confident in my history, and I am not confident in my reverend persona. I am not confident in my perseverance, but I am confident in God. Pray that you hear that today. Paul's joy wasn't because this church worked really hard to get where they were and they hadn't blown it yet. No, they did. You're going to see that in the way that he, he talks to them. They're, they're people. They're fallen. What he's saying to them is, is, is his confidence should be their confidence, and it's God's sovereign hand over their life. God started the work. God is doing the work, and God will sustain and complete the work. This word of confidence should never be heard for us to slow us down, but instead it should spur us on to achieve more of the gospel mission before us. Verse 7 says this, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers of grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. It's right for, for Paul to feel this way? Remember what we had just heard in, in verse 4. It says, always, in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy. Paul is filled with joy because of his partnerships in the gospel, because of his love, because of the shared mission between the two, because of the call in his life, the good and fun breaking of bread, and the not-so-fun imprisonments. Paul sees joy in it all. So as we get ready to move into our response time and our worship team comes back up, there are a few things I want you to consider for yourselves, okay? Some reasons that maybe this morning that if you sit here and you hear the word joy about 42 times and you say, Josh, I hear that, I read that, I see other people have that, but I don't know if I'm joy-filled. You asked a question a while ago, what, what, what is the thing that, that brings joy to my heart and to my mind? And maybe you sit here this morning and you say, nothing comes to my mind. Here, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to try to diagnose you this morning. That's not what this is. But this is an encouragement just to consider some, some thought, okay? I, th I wrote these for me. 
but I want to share them with you to see if the shoe may fit. Number one, and I think this is primary, if Christ is not the center of your life, then you will be joyless. If I had, this, this could be a sermon in itself, but it won't be. I want to be clear. That doesn't mean that you, Christian or not, I think that you can be a Christian, but not have Christ at the center of your life, and you'd be absolutely miserable Christian. Because the, the issue a lot of times in Christianity is we will come to Christ and, and we love Him for, for a short amount of time or a long amount of time and then the world begins to invade our life and then where He was the sinner, we push Him out or you tell Him, I got it or, or you go take a break and, and I'll sit on the throne for a little while and I've got it and then eventually you believe that you are the sinner of your own life. Joyless. We are not created to sit on the throne. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. It was not meant for us. If Christ is not the center of your life, you will be joyless. If you are prayerless, you will become ungrateful, and therefore, you will have no joy. Typically, our prayers should not be, should not be just a running list of, God, I need you to do's. Our prayers should be, God, thank you for God, you are good and you are glorious. God, you have given me so much. It is in those moments that we recount all the things that God has done for us. But if you are not spending time, and hear me out, daily prayer doing that, joy is going to evade you because instead of being thankful for what you have, you're going to begin to compare your life to those that are around you and comparison is the thief of joy. Prayerlessness leads to joylessness. If you don't have assurance of your salvation, that is your relationship with Christ, you will not have joy. Because if you don't have that, listen to me, all you are is living for this world, and this world is fading fast. I woke up this morning for, with two ibuprofen just because it's Sunday. It just hurts. I don't know, like this ain't a physically demanding job, but my knees hurt. I believe it was the dunk tank. We'll pray for y'all. Last one. If you don't have meaningful gospel-centered relationships, gospel work partners, you're not going to have much joy. You may have friends. You may have people that you do life with. You may go to dinner with people or you sit and have coffee with people. But if Christ is not the center of that conversation or at least the center of the reason for that meeting, that is a joyless meeting. It's not eternal. Matter of fact, if Christ is not the center, then that means one of you two are going to be. And again, we don't hold that place very well. I'm not saying that there's not more. I'm just saying that these are the, the areas in my life that I fight. If any of these describe you, I would tell you that today, if you have breath in your body, there's still time to change. As we wrap up our time today, I mean, we get to see the depth of Paul's joy for the church, especially the Philippian church. I want you to hear it in verse 8. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. So what does bring you the most joy? I pray that somewhere on your list of what brings you the most joy is your relationship with Christ and your relationship with others in your relationship with Christ. And today, as in every day, I pray that we would give thanks to God for his provision and giving us good 
and right gospel partnerships. Those you two moments in our lives that spur us on with great joy. So as we move into our invitation time this morning, yes, there's gonna be an opportunity for us to respond to God's gospel goodness. If you were not born again, I would love to pray with you here. I would love to, to start that conversation with you. If you were looking to join this church, I, I would love to start that conversation with you. If you were just looking to pray, this altar will be open. We will be up here to pray. But hear me out. This is an invitation time not to pack up, not to get ready for what's next, not to let your mind wander, but a time to be focused on what God has done for you. So here is my ask for you in response to what you've heard today. I believe that God has given us all gospel partnerships. Sometimes we just don't acknowledge them. Sometimes we don't acknowledge them because we don't see them. Could we spend just a few moments this morning during this invitation time just to, to think in a focused way of all the ways that God has blessed us. And would you just spend this time thanking God for what he has given to you? My prayer would be this. It would, it would look something like this. It doesn't have to express in the same way. But maybe you close your eyes during this invitation time. And as your mind begins to scroll through all the ways that God has been good, when God stops an image or a thought or a person or an experience that is gospel-centric and saturated, it brings joy to your heart. Maybe your, your, your face begins to smile, or maybe you're just a stoic person and that's okay, but maybe your heart begins to smile. And it's in that moment you thank God for that person. In our staff prayer time this morning, uh, Pastor Neil asked our staff, what is a person? Who is, who is a person? What was an experience that brings you a lot of joy in, in your walk with the Lord? And it's funny because I had a lot prepared for today, but I didn't expect for the Lord to bring to my mind's eye that moment. Like I closed my eyes in that moment and I'm, I'm 19 years old. I'm at Gulf Shore Baptist Assembly. There's a pier that goes out to the water. People are fishing. And I'm sitting there and I'm praying. I'm like, God, just, I don't, I don't know. I, like I've heard the word discipleship. I've heard, I've heard this idea of, of having other men in your life to speak things into your life, to help you know what it is to follow Christ. But I've never honestly had that with people my own age. And I remember a guy that stepped up to my left. His name was Corey Dewitt and a guy to my right, his name was Jeff Feinberg. I don't even know where those guys are today. But I remember in that moment, both of them came and said, the Lord led us to you, and we wanna study the Bible together every day this summer. And I think of all the things that have spurred me on in my faith, that may be one of the biggest moments of my life. I don't know what it is for you, but in this invitation time, I pray that the Lord would flood your heart and your mind and joy would fill your heart. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for the joy of singing, of community, of giving. Thank you for the opportunity of response. Thank you for Corey Dewitt's, Jeff Feinberg's, countless other names that will be mentioned in our hearts and minds in just a moment. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would move across this room in a mighty way. Flood our hearts and minds with all the ways that you have been faithful to us. 
bring us back. Let us remember those things. Let us see it now. And in all of that goodness, God, let our hearts rest securely in your hand for every day that we have left. For you have been faithful. You are faithful. And we know you will be. Jesus, we love you. And it's in your name that we pray. And now stand and respond, church. Would you stand with me?